Pro, this is Payments Radio, the show for and about the payments industry, covering news, interviewing experts, and talking about all the ways the world pays. My name is Megan Johnson, your host of Payments Radio, and today we travel to Indonesia to discuss the uniqueness of a heavily populated, highly geographic, fragmented market. We will discuss the importance of establishing the right payment mix and discuss the challenges and vast amount of opportunities that merchants looking to offer their services in Indonesia have. Lastly, it wouldn't be a payments podcast if we didn't discuss buy now, pay later and QR codes. To discuss all things Indonesia, my guests today are Angie Ho, uh, looking after business development of APAC at PPRO, and Allison Jap, SVP Strategic Partnerships at Doku. Welcome. So Allison, could you please describe your role and um, share with the audience what exactly is Doku? Sure. Thanks again for, for having me on the podcast, Megan. So uh, my name is Allison. I'm the Chief International Partnerships Officer for Doku. Um, Doku, we are an online payments company based in Jakarta. We started um, all the way back in 2007. Um, we have a few uh, products, actually, but primarily um, our business is doing payment gateway collection um, and also payouts for, for local um, bank accounts in Indonesia. Um, so that's Doku. My role uh, as, a, as the um, Chief International Partnership Officer, I basically look after all of our international merchants um, and also PSP partners such as yourselves. Okay, great. Thank you. And, and we're going to dive uh, quite a bit into this whole concept of international merchants operating in, in Indonesia in this podcast. Um, but before we do that, um, Angie, welcome. Um, could you let us know what your role is at PPRO and um, what the PPRO and Doku partnership uh, looks like? Thanks, Megan. Um, so hi, everyone. And uh, my name is Angie, and I'm from the uh, part of the payment networks team uh, in PPRO, uh, where I build and manage uh, the uh, relationship with the local payment method partners in the APEC region, so based out of Singapore. Um, and uh, we have been working, PPRO has been working with uh, Doku uh, since uh, we have launched our payment methods in Indonesia uh, two years ago. And um, yeah, really happy to be here in um, kind of have this discussion about uh, Indonesia. Great. Thanks, Angie. So, I mean, I, Doku is Indonesia's first um, payments technology company. Um, I mean, being around since, since 2007, that's, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it really shows how uh, mature and, you know, how I think we'll get into the complexity um, of the actual payment ecosystem in Indonesia. But just to set the scene, um, what does the payment mix look like within Indonesia, Allison? Sure. Um, Indonesia is a very uh, interesting and very unique uh, landscape when it comes to payments. Um, so where, where most developed countries would recognize credit card and debit cards um, using the scheme rails, as sort of, you know, the, the main payment channel that everyone, almost everyone has. Um, in Indonesia, it, it really doesn't look like that here. Um, there's only about 17 million credit cards in circulation um, against a population of around 260 million. So you can imagine 
um, the vast majority of Indonesians actually don't have um, credit cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, only about 60 per- 50 to 60% of the population have bank accounts. So um, we're looking at a very diverse group of people, um, not just in terms of their you know, demographics, um, their economic level, but also geographic uh, regions. Right? As you know, Indonesia is made out of um, thousands of islands. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have Jakarta that is super urban, you know, like any other big city um, in Southeast Asia. Uh, but then, you know, not far away, you'll also find um, areas that are very remote where uh, maybe there's not even an ATM within a two-hour drive, right? Mm-hmm. So because of that, um, that diversity, um, the, the, the payment landscape is also very fragmented. Uh, so you have those uh, who can easily shop online using cards, but you have those who can't so easily shop online because, you know, um, maybe all they have is cash, um, which is why I think that's what we, we've tried to do with PPRO is to deliver um, as many different payment, Indonesian payment channels um, as possible so that merchants, all merchants, you know, can, can choose the right payment channel um, for, their, for their consumer base. But generally speaking, um, virtual account is actually the most one of or the most uh, popular payment channel for online purchases in Indonesia now. Um, I would say that uh, followed by credit card. So credit card is not actually the, the main one. Um, and then we also have convenience stores and e-money is also a very big um, uh, payment channel that's growing very fast. It makes sense. So I guess with the virtual cards and, and the e-money, would this primarily be managed via a, a, a traditional kind of mobile wallet or? Uh, yeah. So the e-money, um, yeah, it's more similar to a traditional mobile wallet uh, where basically the users have to download an app. But uh, again, different to what you have in the U.S. in the case of PayPal or um, in China, you have Alipay and WeChat Pay. Uh, those instruments allow the user after downloading the app to actually tokenize um, another payment channel, right? In the case of PayPal, mostly most people would tokenize their cards. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of uh, in China, I think uh, people usually tokenize their bank accounts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in Indonesia, again, because of the fragmented payment la- landscape, most people who have e-money uh, end up uh, topping up their money with cash either they can go to the convenience store and top up cash or even to agents um, or they can also top up using a bank transfer so it's more of a of a cash balance wallet rather than a tokenized wallet yeah if that makes sense and um angie i mean from from your perspective is this is this quite unique to southeast asia how how does this compare to some of the the other markets yes definitely megan so i think what we see as well is that consumers you know, typically use more than one payment method. And sometimes they may use a different payment method uh, for a different type of transactions. So I think curating the right uh, payment mix will definitely be very beneficial for, you know, merchants uh, trying to improve their conversion as well as increasing their sales. Um, For example, right, uh, merchants, you know, will need to access their uh, industry sector and, business model to really decide on what kind of payment method to enable. Um, merchants, you know, selling varying transaction sizes uh, or high value products, uh, I think it's important for them to enable um, the payment methods that uh, Alison just mentioned, which is the uh, virtual accounts 
which would be able to accommodate the higher ticket size uh, items uh, and also essentially actually is a bank transfer payment method as well as um, I think merchants even consider enabling you know installment type of payment methods or post payment methods uh, which we've seen right this payment method being used for um, travel sectors even before the pandemic. So yes, definitely agree with what uh, Alison has just uh, mentioned. Okay. So I mean, let, let's let's kind of um, talk a bit further about this and kind of think about um, you know the merchant perspective. Um, so, for example, merchants in in Indonesia. I mean, how are they offering you know multiple different types of payment methods or is it a case of having a, a very strategic kind of way of identifying you know who their core customers are and, and what maybe the most used payment methods are for them so yeah how does a merchant in indonesia kind of plan what their payment acceptance mix will be yeah i think i think mo most merchants in indonesia will enable more than one definitely um if you are looking at a merchant who is, uh, for example, a marketplace, right, where their where their target customer is very wide, right, across different ages, uh, different socioeconomic levels, um, then you would you would see at the checkout page literally like twenty different payment channels, which is so unique to Indonesia. Like you you would never see that in the U.S. or in Singapore, right? So, but of course, um, if the merchant's target customer is a lot more focused, like for example, they're they're selling luxury goods, right, with ticket um, average ticket sizes that are very high, um, then you know the selection is much much simpler, right? It would be mostly credit card and also virtual accounts, for example. Um, and then, of course, if you're talking about digital content and games, where they're targeting a lot younger um uh demographic yeah. um then you would need to be to to add more uh, for example like e-money right because that's where uh, a lot of the young urban um consumers uh what what they prefer to use so um it is really really important like what angie said to curate uh the payment channels that is um suitable for for the target market that 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 merchant is targeting Okay, that makes sense. I mean, just just something that kind of popped into my head. I mean, you mentioned that the younger demographic is primarily um, using e-money. Can and I guess with such a low kind of issuance of cards, can you see you know in in ten to twenty years kind of cards being um, irrelevant in Indonesia? Do you think cards have a a future? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, I personally think. Um, pay Payment landscape in Indonesia will will continue to be more fragmented than than um, you know the developed countries. It's it's probably going to consolidate a little bit, but I think um, you know we we will still have more variety than than the average you know uh, very developed market, right? Um, as for cards, yes, I I do think um, there's still a future for cards uh, because you know. Uh, cards also have um, features that other payment channels uh, cannot have, right? Like, for example, uh, for subscription services, you know, people still rely on credit cards to enable that kind of flow. Um, and of course, uh, you still have a lot of Indonesians who who travel overseas, right? So, so I think um, those schemes will continue to be important. But definitely, for an international merchant who is looking to target an Indonesian customer base, um, you have to look beyond. Um, beyond cards, right? Cards is important, but uh, what else? Because you, you really do want to increase that conversion rate. 
So I wanted to touch upon um, some of the challenges that merchants face when it comes to operating in, in Indonesia. I understand there's um, quite a few bit of um, complexities, but quite a high demand from merchants in, you know, say China and, and Singapore to, to operate in, in Indonesia. Um, Angie, what's your perspective with this? Yeah, Megan. So for instance, um, you know, uh, we have Chinese merchants uh, that uh, we serve uh, have came to us, right? And in general, they are, you know, super excited and interested in the Indonesian market, uh, uh, in the opportunity there. But oftentimes, they find themselves, you know, um, really worried about the, you know, the, the challenges in Indonesia, for example, um, the logistic challenge or, um, you know, payment methods challenge or even the newly established uh, import rules and taxes. So, you know, I, I would, would would really invite Alison to kind of share with us what is her advice, you know, that uh, she has for these merchants who are really interested in Indonesia. Thanks, Angie and Megan for the question. Um, yeah, I think definitely um, Indonesia being a country with the, with the biggest population in Southeast Asia, it's a very, very attractive market to target for many international merchants. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it can be um, quite challenging to navigate the local regulations. Um, you know, everything has a local flavor in Indonesia, right? Um, so I think that the three things that merchants sort, sort of um, might be more concerned about, the first one, of course, is payments. Uh, the second one might be logistics. Um, and then the third one uh, would be, I guess, more at the corporate level, you know, about setting up an entity and then taking care of the taxation and things like that. Well, the good news is, um, you know, there are companies here uh, in Indonesia who have services to, to help, um, you know, international merchants solve such problems. So, of course, uh, Doku being one in the, in the payment sector. Um, the second one, logistics-wise, uh, there are already quite a lot of um, logistics players here who can even help to, you know, warehouse and do the inventory fulfillment um, on behalf of brands um, here locally. And then, of course, when it comes to all the corporate matters, um, you know, it is very key to have a good advisor, a good local legal counsel here in Indonesia to be able to explain the different regulations um, depending on the industry that the merchant is operating in. Uh, but for sure, you know, um, to be able to enter Indonesia is not very easy because it's such a big market, right? But at the same time, uh, many, many international brands have successfully done so uh, because um, there are a lot of local partners that are, you know, very experienced um, in, in managing these, these kind of situations, so... Interesting. So challenging, but possible. Um, yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. And the rewards are very high because, you know, it's such a big market here, right? Mm -hmm. um, we, we, we are the biggest population in Southeast Asia. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Again, challenging, but it, it sounds like it's worth it. And yeah, I mean, good to know kind of the, the tips for merchants looking to, to enter Indonesia. And um, yeah, I mean, this wouldn't be a payments podcast if we didn't touch upon buy now, pay later. Um, so we've seen an absolute explosion of buy now, pay later services across uh, the globe. What is the status of buy now, pay later in Indonesia, Allison? Yeah, this is a very um, interesting new development. 
Um, so I, I would say buy now, pay later is more common in the offline world than it is in the online world, at least for Indonesia. Um, in the offline setting, um, you know, it's it's been around for for quite some time where uh, you would go to a big box electronics store to buy, you know, a washing machine or, or other very costly household appliances, right? And usually um, at the store, there would be uh, an agent there from a buy now, pay later company that would offer um, to, to, do, to, to structure an installment program for, for the customer, basically. Mm -hmm. So now we're really seeing that happening also in the online world. In the past, I would say, you know, before two to three years ago, um, if you wanted to buy something online and install it, credit card would have been the only option. Um, so the merchant would get uh, the settlement upfront from the from the credit card acquiring bank, uh, but then the customer would obviously, you know, pay that in installments to the credit card issuer, right? But I think now um, with the rise of fintech in Indonesia. Um, there are companies, players now that are really focusing uh, on doing buy now, pay later for online setting. Mm -hmm. um, so usually the customer experience would be the customer would have to download an app from, from this provider um, and then provide data in order for the provider to be able to assess you, um, your assess your credit history, credit worthiness, and then give you some kind of a credit line, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then at checkout, the customer would be able to choose the payment channel from this provider, uh, log in, and then use that credit line that's already been established um, as the payment method. So um, I think it's growing. It's definitely growing uh, a lot. We are also talking to quite a few buy now, pay later providers now um, to integrate them to our payment gateway so that we can offer them to merchants. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so so very, very exciting, I think, to see how this um, how this space will grow. Um, yeah, and 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 we're we're hoping that this will also lower the barrier for a lot of consumers who, you know, cannot have a credit card, right? Because yeah. uh, they don't have the credit history for a bank to approve them, but they might be able to get this kind of loan from elsewhere. And that would email, enable them um, to buy things online that they previously would not have been able to buy. So definitely good uh, for the industry overall. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. There's, just to yeah hear the 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 customer experience how first it's you know the customers need to proactively you know apply for such a service where i think you know in in the states and in in europe it's it's quite simple we just have the buy now pay later option at, at, at checkout you know a soft credit check and it's it's pretty straightforward but I mean yeah. I think also it's also quite interesting to hear that by now pay later is, is still quite strong in, in the offline space um, as well so yeah I think it will be very interesting to see how that plays out yeah I think I think the main difference with countries like what you mentioned you know it's so easy um, is because their their credit scoring for every individual is uh, I mean, there's so many services for credit scoring, right? And it's it's pretty transparent. Um, so if I get a if I have a credit score of X, um, everybody knows what X means, right? Uh, whereas I think here, because we don't really have that kind of nationwide or standardized credit scoring yet, every sort of lender needs to do their own assessment whether this person fits their risk appetite or not. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I think that's why yeah because so many people are unbanked right if, if yes. you don't have a bank account you don't have a credit credit history you have no financial history in fact um, 
So, so I think that that's why it's so different for Indonesia, how, how buy now pay later works. Okay, interesting. And I think uh, another very um, topical and, and relevant area is uh, QR codes. So um, Angie, are you able to shed some light on what the status of uh, QR codes are in, in Indonesia and maybe how this compares to some of the other Southeast Asian markets? Yes, sure, Megan. So what we've seen in Indonesia is the launch of uh, QRIS uh, back in 2019, right? Uh, and what that means is really uh, real-time payments is becoming more and more a reality in Indonesia and really showing us how Indonesia is enhancing their financial agility. Um, there is also an increasing uh, number of consumers' preference uh, you know, to QR payments, both offline uh, and online. And, uh, you know, looking at the recent real-time payments linkage in the region, you know, between PayNow Singapore and, and, and PromPay in, in Thailand, I think we would expect some of, you know, this such connections in the near future and probably with, you know, QRIS uh, as well, which really could unlock the instantaneous uh, cross-border payments and commerce and, and really making it faster, cheaper, and more transparent for everyone. Um, yeah. Cool, interesting. Alison, anything to add on, on your perspective with, with the, I guess, the role and the increase in, in QR codes and um, yeah, your thoughts on how they can really spur innovation? Sure. Um, I, I think what, what, what Angie has said is really spot on. Uh, you know, I think she mentioned about the cross-border, like Singapore is already doing something with Thailand. And yes, the answer is um, Central Bank of Indonesia is, you know, has already announced actually that they do plan to uh, make CRIS um, and enable that for, for cross-border payments. I think Southeast Asia is going to be the immediate uh, focus for, for this kind of rollout. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it's, it, it might be a big game changer yet yeah, to, to enable that instantaneous cross-border payments that Angie was talking about. But also domestically, I think the adoption of Chris uh, before the pandemic, uh, Chris uh, first really rolled out quite aggressively in the offline world again. So going to like your local bubble tea shop, you know, um, uh, F&B uh, outlets, that kind of setting. Uh, I think uh, QR codes were were quite common, at least in the in the urban um, in the urban areas. Yeah. But after the pandemic, I think uh, more and more merchants are now looking at adopting Chris for online transactions as well, um, because the beauty of Chris is, of course, one standard API, one QR code can be scanned by users of all the different issuers of e-money and even uh, mm -hmm. some some banking customers, right? Um, so I think I think that's why Chris is so attractive uh, for merchants. Um, it's it's just simple, you, you know. It, you just have to manage one button, right, rather than managing twenty uh, different buttons. So it it certainly helps to simplify your checkout page. Yep. Okay. Super. And um, I mean, I think that brings us nicely to um, my my final question is. Um, what should we expect from Indonesia in the future? Hmm, that's a interesting <laughs> question, Megan. Very big question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think um, Indonesian payment landscape will continue to be very unique to Indonesia. Uh, the central bank certainly has a lot of plans. Uh, they've actually outlined a. Um, 
payment systems blueprint up till 2025 that will enhance and improve a lot of the banking infrastructure. Um, you know, they, they, they're really, they, they're really um, excited for all the players in the industry to adopt um, better and better technology, um, not just the fintech players, but also the banks. Um, so I think, I think that's pretty exciting. Um, in terms of for, for merchants, international merchants, um, I think, you know, Indonesian payment landscape will continue to be very fragmented. Um, so again, you know, how do we look beyond credit cards? Um, I know that some payment channels that is common and popular in Indonesia sound so unusual to, to, to <laughs> someone who, you know, maybe have never lived here before. Yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, Again, pay payments is such a local, it's such a personal thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, different countries uh, really have uh, their own unique set of challenges and preferences, um, which is why I think the partnership with PPRO is so great because we're, we're, we're trying to bring all of these um, hyper-localization when it comes to payments uh, to, to PPRO's uh, clients, yeah. Great, thanks. And uh, Angie, any anything you'd like to add on, on the future of payments in Indonesia? Yeah, of course. So Indonesia, you know, is, is definitely a, an exciting opportunity for merchants um, trying to enter this growth market. I think we've seen that uh, in, in the recent years where Google, you know, uh, launched its services in uh, 2020, right? Uh, Amazon has uh, plans for Indonesia either this year or, or, or next, and as well as Microsoft also revealing its plan to build a data center in, in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. So suddenly, you know, a very um, exciting market uh, for, for people as well and our, and our clients. Uh, and we, we have, you know, big plans for Indonesia. So looking forward to um, continuing the partnership with Doku uh, to bring, you know, Indonesia life. Fantastic. Um, awesome. I mean, I think it's been really interesting to dig a bit deeper into Indonesia. I think a lot of the times it's it's overlooked um, for, you know, how innovative it is, not just in payments, but, you know, from what we see with some of the, the super apps and in the fintech space. And yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting to talk about, you know, the role of virtual accounts and, and e-money and, and how that's allowing, you know, perhaps a large population that's unbanked or underbanked to, um, yeah, engage in e-commerce. Some of the challenges that the merchants face um, when looking to operate in Indonesia, and um, yeah, I guess the uniqueness of the the buy now pay later space in Indonesia as well. Um, so, Angie and Allison, thank you so much for taking the time um, to discuss all things Indonesia. Um, Allison, where can our listeners find out more? about Doku? Sure. Um, our website is at www.doku.com. From there, you'll be able to find all the information about us, the different payment channels that we support. Some of our client portfolio is also mentioned there. Um, and hopefully you'll, you'll be able to get a better understanding about Indonesia payment landscape from, from our website. Thank you so much, Megan, for, for having me today. My pleasure, Allison. And Angie, where can our listeners find out more about PPRO? So come to uh, www.ppro.com and uh, you'll find out about uh, us being a uh, global local payment method uh, infrastructure for our clients. And um, thank you again, Megan, for this session. It was great. 
So thank you to our listeners. Thank you again to Allison and Angie and stay tuned for the next episode of P-Pro Payments Radio. Thank you.